that's one of the most important skills when it comes to maintaining passion for the long haul, because to your point, no, you cannot expect sex to be like it was in the honeymoon stage of the relationship or pre-kids or during the pregnancy and postpartum period or later when, you know, you've got young children at home or whatever it may be. Someone's injured, someone's sick. I mean, there's just all kinds of little adaptations you're going to have to make if you want sex to remain a positive constant in your relationship. Hi, I'm Amy Kiefer, a nurse, doula, and personal trainer. And I'm Crystal Howald, a women's health and orthopedic physical therapist. We're the co-founders of Expecting and Empowered, and we just so happen to be sisters. We built this business because we saw a huge gap between the information that women were given during pregnancy and postpartum and the information that they need. We're committed to helping close the gap so that women are better equipped to navigate these demanding and challenging years. Yes, we're both moms of three, so we know firsthand how many changes women go through physically, mentally, and emotionally because women aren't getting enough information to make informed decisions about their own health. It leaves mothers picking up the pieces afterwards. We need that to change. With our professional backgrounds, we're going to pull the curtain back on this season and give you the information you need to thrive. We're on a mission to change women's health. Let's do this. I get to talk to Dr. Emily Jamia, who's a sex therapist and an expert on love and relationships. She is the author of the upcoming book, Anatomy of Desire, and hosts her own podcast, Love and Libido. She's also a mom, which is really important for us when we looked for someone who understands what our bodies go through as we experience pregnancy and postpartum and how that can impact our sex life. So I would love, Emily, if you started by talking about how how you grew up and how it has helped you to get to where you are today. Because from what I hear, you grew up in a very sex positive household. I did. Yes, it was interesting. And and thank you so much for your warm welcome. I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, I grew up in a small town in Tennessee. It was pretty conservative, but my dad was an OBGYN. So in my home, sex was not taboo. I mean, I grew up hearing him on the phone with patients talking about all kinds of things. And so I was pretty desensitized to it. But it as I grew up, I realized that that was not the case for a lot of my friends. And so I think from a relatively young age, my friends would come to me like with these questions or, hey, can you ask your dad this and that? And, you know, I never saw it as a big deal. And so I think I kind of started giving sex advice before I really identified as a a sex and relationship therapist. But I think, yes, especially as it relates to today's topic, you know, having grown up in that way really helped me navigate the pregnancy and postpartum period that combined with everything I know now as a sex and relationship therapist, I felt a lot more equipped to handle it probably than the average person. That's so interesting because my husband and I are already talking about the way we want to approach the topic of sex to our kids. Mm -hmm. And we're a little bit different. He's pretty conservative. And I'm like, I just feel like they need the information. It's better they get it from us. So it'll be interesting when that comes to a head when they're a little bit older. 
we'll have to do another episode on that. I know I was going <laughs> to say a whole nother episode topic because yeah. it is an intimidating conversation for a lot of people. And I feel like a lot of people are probably like me where you and your partner might differ on what you mm. think. He thinks it's going to like influence them to have sex. Oh gosh. Like, no, I don't not think at all with the research. The way. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Okay, guys, we'll stay on topic, but that we should have you back on to talk for about sure, that. For sure. Okay. So like I was telling you right before we started, as a mom yourself, you can understand that it is really hard for pregnant and postpartum women when they go through the process they might have less of a desire for sex at certain points. So I just wanted to start by normalizing that. And maybe you could tell us a few reasons why that happens. Absolutely. So, you know, during the period of pregnancy, there are so many changes happening hormonally, physically, you know, you are literally growing another human inside of your body, you know, and if you are having morning sickness, if you're having aches and pains, if you're just generally feeling uncomfortable with the changes in your body and that sort of thing that can all take a major toll on how comfortable you feel with sexuality. And it's not just women that can mm-hmm. experience changes in desires. I I work with a lot of couples in which heterosexual couples in which the male partner feels maybe hesitant to have intercourse with his pregnant wife or you know, is having a hard time adapting to some of the changes that she's experiencing. So it can really go both ways. Yeah. And let's dive into body image because it's something that we hear about all the time as we go through different journeys. Maybe it's our first time. Maybe we've done it before. There can be insecurities that come up. So if someone is struggling with their body image, is there a way for them to cope or things you recommend to your clients when it comes to still feeling worthy of sex and intimacy? You know, I think it goes a long way to practice gratitude for what your body was able to do. I mean, I really still, the whole miracle of being able to have a baby is just, and I know it's not a miracle, it is science, but to me, it just seems like this incredible phenomenon that we as humans are capable of doing. And um, and so I, I think it's really helpful to take a moment and just honor and respect your body for what it just went through, especially if you've, you know, already had the baby. And then I think it's also really important to practice patience. You Mm -hmm. know, I think a lot of women are so impatient about losing the weight that they gain during their pregnancy, or maybe they have the adjusting expectations. Sometimes it's, you know, knowing that maybe your body is not going to go back exactly to the way it was before you had the baby. I mean, my hips never went completely back in. And, you know, so that was an adjustment for me and and everybody is different. So I think it's being patient. You didn't gain weight overnight. You're not going to lose it overnight. It's honoring and respecting and practicing gratitude for what your body was able to do. And then adjusting your expectations a little bit. I, I feel so happy that the pendulum is swinging in terms of body acceptance. And, you know, there's so much more positivity now, I think around different body types. And, and I think that that is going to help a lot of women just be more accepting of some of the physical changes, but it, it can be a bit of a struggle. And I think it's important to remember it's, it's an adjustment period, like anything mm-hmm. else. So I think coming back to that, just patience is, is a big key. 
Yeah. And I think it was really interesting because we can tell ourselves stories that aren't necessarily true. You know, I would be like, oh my gosh, my husband is going to see my stomach. And, Mm -hmm. and then when I opened up, he's like, Amy, we literally made this baby together. Like I totally understand. And I hope that everyone's partner is so kind, but it was like, I was worried about things that he was absolutely not worried about. Oh yeah. I mean, we're our own worst critic. percent. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I think a lot of people feel self-conscious about what their partner is going to think of them. And I mean, it's unusual for me to get a guy in here who's like, I resent the fact that my wife gained, you know, 30 pounds during her pregnancy or whatever it is, you know, it just, yeah, you don't hear that that much. I think what's really key is, you know, that you're, you're doing what you need to do to take care of yourself and Mm -hmm. being healthy. I mean, the only thing I do hear sometimes is, If, you know, in a relationship where maybe you don't see your partner making the healthiest of choices and, you know, that can kind of take a toll on desire. But in most cases, I think as long as we're taking care of ourselves, that's what is attractive because that is a demonstration of confidence and self-worth. Emily, I feel like so many things we have touched on could be truly their own podcast episodes because this is always the case. I've heard it on the heterosexual relationships on the male side, like the male stops taking care of himself. And my friends are like, I, this is so hard for me. Like, I feel like I didn't sign up for this. And like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's having grace with your partner. We've, you know, a lot of us want to be in it for the long haul. And sometimes they're making decisions that doesn't feel right. Even when it comes to our desire for them. Yeah. So true. Okay. So we do want to talk about desire. We know that with this group of women, it can be something that is really hard. You know, maybe they used to have a sex drive that was really helpful to this part of their relationship. And now they're just not feeling like they want to have sex. So I want to talk about if people are desiring to have more desire, what can they do? Okay. So the first thing, and this is especially a applies, I think, for that first postpartum year after you've had the baby. We know like a lot of research and studies on sexuality exclude women who have had a baby within the last year because it's just going to skew the data too much because there's just so much happening that's like the antithesis of feeling really good and in the mood for sex. I think a good place to start is by going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, so for those of you listening who aren't familiar with that, imagine a triangle. At the bottom of the triangle are our most basic level needs. This is things like food, water, air, and sleep. Okay, like without those fundamental needs, we will die. Okay, then next on the list is your need for safety. You know, do you have a roof over your head? Do you have shelter from the elements? Then the third level is more of those relational needs, community, sense of belonging, that sort of thing. And that's really where sex falls in. Okay. So it's not until those other two needs are met a lot of times that people can have the desire for sex. What does that mean? Well, if you're getting up five times a night to take care of a baby and you're not getting sleep, like that need for sleep is not getting met. You cannot expect yourself to be in the mood for sex. So I encourage people just to cut themselves some slack until your baby at least starts sleeping a little bit more through the night. Because without that, it's unlikely you're really going to be ready and raring to go. 
aside from that, you know, I think a lot of doctors talk about this like magical six week mark when you're cleared for sex. And first and foremost, like that number is just, it's so different for every woman. I mean, just because you may be physically ready does not mean at all that you're anywhere near being emotionally ready. Um, And so just because maybe you're healed physically does not mean that you're like in the right headspace as an individual or within your relationship in order to desire sex. So that's another thing that I, I remind people. And then finally, all of the hormonal changes that are happening if you're nursing, tend to lower libido. So we've already got Mm -hmm. high oxytocin, we've got high prolactin, we've got lower estrogen, which can cause vaginal dryness. So like nursing is just not very conducive to high desire. So there's a lot of factors at play that go against that are working against us in terms of desiring sex again. Um, And so I think it's really important to take a holistic view when considering what's going on with you and how that might affect your sexuality. Aside from that, having a baby is like the biggest life adjustment that we go through as humans. And it can take an individual toll. I mean, a lot of women deal with postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. It can take a toll on your relationship. And so there's just a lot going on, which is why I think it's so important for couples to talk openly and honestly about what's going on for them at any given point and to, to kind of get a sense of where they are and how open they may be to having sex again. That being said, it's also really important to broaden our definition of sex. Mm-hmm. You may not be ready for intercourse for a while, and that is completely okay. That doesn't mean that everything has to stop. You know, you can still spend time cuddling together, kissing, taking a shower together. I mean, you can. there's all kinds of things you can do that don't necessarily involve intercourse. And so I think it's helpful, too, to kind of throw those rigid scripts out the window. And that's really like a life skill anyway. Um, and so the postpartum period is a good time to start that. Yeah, I think it that was a really long winded answer. No, I I loved it. It's (laughs) there's just so much in this postpartum period. I think we really get ourselves into trouble if we're constantly comparing to what used to be, whether it comes to our body or our sex life. And we're saying, well, we used to have sex four days a week or whatever it was. Yeah. It's a new time and it probably will take some new habits. I know Drew and I really love to have sex during nap time because I just felt more awake and more up to it. Yeah. And so that, you know, day sex was not something that we did before. And, Mm -hmm. and that was just at the time. Also asking your partner to do more often leads to you feeling like having sex more, being intimate more. Mm-hmm. I remember I'd be like, Drew, put all the kids to bed and yeah. then I will. And so I'll take a, a shower. I'll relax. I'll take a shower. Like right, right. It's it often has to do with both of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that the women listening, a lot of times we put it all on ourselves. Oh my like, gosh. Well, I just don't feel like it or like it's my fault. And it's like, often you actually need more help. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. You made a really, a lot of really great points. And yes, I, so like in the book I'm writing, I have a whole chapter on adaptability and how that's Mm -hmm. one of the most important skills when it comes to maintaining passion for the long haul, because to your point, no, you cannot expect sex to be like it was in the honeymoon stage of the relationship or pre-kids or during the pregnancy and postpartum period, or later when, you know, you've got young children at home or whatever it may be, someone's injured, someone's sick. I mean, there's just all kinds of little adaptations 
adaptations you're going to have to make if you want sex to remain a positive constant in your relationship. And so, yes, planning it, setting aside time to carve out for one another is huge. And people do not like that. (laughs) They have this idea that, you know, sex is only good if it's totally spontaneous. And I remind them that there really isn't that much spontaneous sex happening. Like when you were dating it, you may have thought it was spontaneous, but it most definitely was not spontaneous because everybody knew what was going to happen at the end of a date. And there was a lot of anticipation and positive buildup that went into getting ready for that time. And it's, it's all about changing our mindset Mm -hmm. um, and thinking about plan just as we plan anything else that's important to us. There's no reason why we shouldn't plan time to be together. And that doesn't have to, again, include sex. It can just be a time that you're holding each other, kissing, talking, whatever it is, just that you have some kind of physical contact. You know, even though my children have kind of grown out of naps, there will always be a rest time on the weekends because, yeah, I think a lot of times people are just too tired at the end of the day. And Um, So, yeah, I think that that is really important to to remember, too. And then what you were saying also about involving the partner more, you know, we call that chore play and it is a thing, you know, a lot of times women need a little bit more time to unwind and relax so that they can get in the mood for sex compared to men. And so if that means the male partner takes a little bit off your plate on the evenings that you're wanting to be sexual, there is nothing wrong with that. And anyone listening, please do not micromanage your partner, like let them find their own ways of doing things and understand that maybe in your mind, it's not as good as the way you do it, but that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to take a short break and let you know that this podcast episode is brought to you by the Expecting and Empowered app, which is your complete roadmap to an empowered and strong pregnancy and postpartum. As busy moms ourselves, we know that your time is valuable. Our app workouts are designed to be done in just 30 minutes and will help you in pregnancy to prepare for your labor and in postpartum to heal progressively and safely. You can work out knowing the exercises are safe for you exactly where you are in motherhood and all you have to do is press play. If you want to join the thousands of other women on the Expecting and Empowered app, you can use the promo code PODCAST25 for 25% off a month or a year. You can work out for just $10 a month when you sign up for the year. Visit app.expectingandempowered.com to sign up today. We'll also put that in the show notes. We'll see you in the app. We've kind of touched on this, but I've been watching and listening to your content. I want to talk about how does relationship security, what does that have to do with great sex? Everything, everything. If you do not feel secure in your relationship, and what does that mean? It means that there is mutual trust, respect. You feel like there's a healthy level of interdependence. You know that your partner is going to be there for you and you're going to be there for them that unless those kind of foundations are there, then it's it's hard to 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 maintain sexual passion for the long haul. And I think that kind of goes in contrast to the way a lot of people think of sex is like great sex only happens in the early days or with new partners. And while yes, the element of novelty can keep sex exciting, um, if there's not that relationship security at play too, then it's not sustainable. So especially when we're thinking of what has long-term sustainability, 
then we got to look at relationship security. I did a research study that looked at the relationship between things like sensuality and curiosity and I wanted to know if, you know, the more people were in touch with these qualities outside the bedroom, how that affected their satisfaction inside the bedroom. And I found that there was a positive correlation between those variables, but only among people who were in a secure relationship. So Mm -hmm. you could be the most, you know, outgoing, curious person in the world, or you could be, you know, live a very embodied, sensual life. But if you were in an unhealthy relationship or you felt insecure with your partner, your satisfaction was not going to be as high. So that security is really, really important. I think we underestimate it. Oh, that's so interesting to me. Okay. So I was telling you before we got started that at Expecting and Empowered, nothing is off limits. I mean, I think we're in the same business where we feel like we want women to have good information when it comes to sex. We cover a lot of the physical side. So pelvic floor pain, positions that feel better Uh during certain parts of pregnancy, we cover it all. With you, I want to dive into the mental side of returning to sex postpartum. I can remember I felt very nervous. Mm -hmm. It's just, it almost feels brand new again. Oh yeah. And I know for me, it was really important to, I had a few boundaries that I wanted Drew to respect because Mm -hmm. it, what we were just getting started, there were things that I just felt like were off limits. So I was very open on communicating, but please tell us when it comes to the mental side of returning to sex, how can we approach it? Yes. So to your point, being explicitly clear about what your boundaries are is first and foremost. And your partner needs to know that if they so much as toe the line over your boundary, that sex is not going to happen. Um, you know, you have to feel like you are in the driver's seat as you are recovering emotionally and physically, and you've got to feel like your partner is working with you, not against you. And that's just a, a good piece of marriage advice. I think a lot of times we think of like our needs versus their needs. And I always encourage couple to couples to really think about, okay, we're working together as a team against this problem. It's also not uncommon for the lower desire partner to be the one who is thought of like as having the problem and like they just Mm -hmm. need to go improve their desire. And again, no, it's not that we're talking about your sex or his sex. Like we're talking about the sex that you're trying to share as a couple. It's two parts working towards a common goal. And so, yes, if you have, if again, like if you're nursing a baby five times a day and you don't want your partner anywhere near your nipples, like you need to make that explicitly clear as you are getting ready for intercourse. Again, I think it's really, really important to go slow. It can be really scary when, you know, you've just delivered a baby. And this is not just for women who've had vaginal deliveries. It Mm -hmm. applies to women who have had C-sections too. There's just a lot of changes that happen in the pelvis during pregnancy. And so um, I think it's really important like to start with fingers or start with like a small toy or something like that. Make sure that you're giving your body plenty of time to relax and allowing arousal to build gradually. I, I try to help couples move away from thinking of sex as having a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you maybe get going a little bit, it's okay for you to stop and pump the brakes and say, you know what, let's pick this up later. I'm just not quite ready to keep going. Um, so practicing that bodily autonomy and speaking your voice and being assertive about what 
what you are and are not comfortable with is going to be a really key component, I think, to, to sexual reintegration. Yeah. I was like, my bra is staying on. I do yeah. not want it. I do not want it off. Mm-hmm. And to Drew's credit, he just kept checking in on me the first couple of times. And that felt so good to know yeah. that he cared. What mm-hmm. are the things, what are other things that partners can do to kind of support us as we're re-entering? So I think, you know, everyone is a little bit different and you will have to be very clear with your partner about what it is that you need from them. Do you need them to like, and and also thinking about what is going to be important for you reclaiming sexuality. Do you need, you know, an hour to walk in the sunshine or go to the gym because that really helps you feel better about your body and that will help desire. Do you need an extra couple hours of sleep, like involve them in that, you know, hand the baby over. Do you need a night out with friends to remember how it felt, you know, before to kind of get back in touch with that part of yourself. That's not in mom mode all the time. Like think about what it is you need and then ask your partner how they can support you. And and that may be different from everyone. Now they make like really sexy postpartum lingerie and nursing bras and things like that, that are beautiful. You know, if that's going to help you feel good, if you're leaving the bra on, get something like that, you know? And, And so there's tons of things that you can do, I think for yourself, but also, you know, it's important to let your partner know what they can do for you as well. I loved a few of those examples. I remember going to dinner with a few of my girlfriends and we all agreed like going out to dinner and being with your friends for whatever reason helps you feel more in the mood. And I don't think that people would necessarily associate that, but that that's a great one. You get dinner and you get, and you get to go home and feel desire. It's amazing. It's so important for women and moms in particular, not to lose touch with all parts of themselves. You know, we are complex people and, you know, can you do it all, have it all at a hundred percent? Absolutely not. But do you want to completely disconnect from everything that made you who you were prior to becoming a mother? No. And that's where, you know, it's most couples notice a sexual decline after having kids, you Mm -hmm. know, and we know from the research that, Uh, marital satisfaction goes down a lot in that first year after having kids and kind of plateaus for a little while. I mean, a lot of times people aren't as happy as they were before having kids, you know, it's, it's just a real game changer, but the more you can do to stay in touch with things that were meaningful to you prior to this change, the better off you are. So, you know, for women who are choosing to leave the workforce, for example, Absolutely nothing wrong with that, but do something that's separate from your role as a wife and a mother, at least once a week, whether that is some kind of, you know, class or sitting on a board or some volunteer, you know, something that's separate. And and I'm not talking about school volunteer again, because we're talking about separate from your role as a wife and a mother that is just for you. I think that's super, super important for women. Yeah, absolutely. I have heard from a lot of people that it's really hard to get back in the, in the direction that they both desire to go. So sometimes they feel like it's so far gone that how do we even explore this area of our life together? So do you have any tips for the couple that feels like we never have sex? We never talk about it. We just, it's not a part of our life anymore. My best piece of advice is to expect it to be awkward for a while. 
Okay. Anything we haven't done in a really long time is going to feel awkward at first. And sex is no different. I think where a lot of people get stuck is they expect to just jump back into it and it's going to feel easy and quote unquote natural and the way it did before. And the faster we move on from that idea, the better off we are you're going to feel like you're kind of fumbling around and, you know, like I use a, a snow skiing analogy. I used to ski a lot. And then there was maybe, I don't know, six or eight years where I didn't ski. And so the first time I went back on the mountain, like I remember how clunky my snow boots, my ski boots were when I put them off and how nervous I was the first time going up the chairlift and how awkward I felt on the first run. And it like took a few warmups before I was like, okay, like I think I can kind of get the hang of this again. And so it's helpful to think of sex in the same way. It's a matter of rediscovering each other. And that is a process. And, and again, I just can't hammer that point home enough. Anything we haven't done in a while is going to feel awkward. Don't wait for that feeling of awkwardness to just evaporate. You got to kind of lean into it and embrace it and be patient as it eventually dissolves. Don't give up if it's not fantastic right away. Exactly. Exactly. Is there any piece of sex advice that you see on the internet that you're like, that is not, that is not good advice. That is not what we should be doing. Can't tell you how many women I've had who maybe they, their first person they talk to is like their OB Jen and they're talking about how much they're struggling to get in the mood, um, experience desire. And the advice is like, just have a glass of wine or read a Cosmo. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like that is terrible advice. Um, you know, I think a lot of people become too dependent on alcohol or other substances to help them relax. And they don't realize that can have a real numbing effect and actually inhibit pleasure and inhibit arousal. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I hate when I hear that, it, like, it's like cringeworthy to me. Cause I'm just like, no, that's going in the opposite direction. So yeah, I don't like that advice. As a sex therapist, what's your favorite advice to give? Oh my gosh, my favorite. I mean, as it relates to like the people who are listening to this episode, I think it would be planning sex. I mean, I just think that is probably planning is your best friend. I prefer the word plan over schedule. I don't know why. I feel like we plan a picnic or we plan a party, but we like schedule a doctor's appointment. Like plan just has a more fun and positive connotation to me. Um, you know, I already said before, kind of like when, remember when you were in the early days, you were planning it, you just didn't call it that, but you got ready and you felt excited about it. We need to think of sex the same way later on. The other thing um, I tell people as it relates to planning is to think of it more like a plan B or a fallback plan. So mm. what does that mean? It means that you're not closing yourself off to connecting at other times during the week or the month or whatever, but you know, in case that doesn't happen, then you at least have this time set aside as, as kind of a fallback plan. And so I think that can be a helpful way to think of it. And then also remembering you don't have to have intercourse every time that, you know, that time on the calendar rolls around, it can just be a time to kind of connect and tune the rest of the world out. Um, and then you can always cancel your plans. You know, I mean, you are in time just because like, let's say you are just absolutely not in the mood. You see no potential of getting in the mood. Like you never want to force yourself to do it just because you have that time set aside. I think too, 
it's important for women, especially to remember that a lot of times we enter a sexual experience more from a place of neutrality than like rip my clothes off right now. You know, we call this responsive as opposed to spontaneous desire. So the desire to have sex doesn't really come about until we kind of get going a little bit and arousal starts to build. And so that's always an important question to ask yourself. I think a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm not in the mood. Well, ask yourself, like, are you definitely not in the mood or are you feeling kind of neutral? on the fence about it because you can kind of move a neutral into a yes. And so um, I think it's good to at least consider whether you may be open to versus absolutely not. There is a difference. Absolutely. I think after I became a mom, I've really gone into my communication era. Like I feel like I, if, cause like things change. Like, I think that's the point of the episode is things change. I used to love when he kissed my neck. I do not like that anymore. Just right. like being touched by kids all the time. So really communicating. I'm not here for just his pleasure. Like I want pleasure too. And so I have to be open mm-hmm. about what changed for me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and there are going to be times, you know, down the line where something changes for him, you know, right. maybe he can't get an erection one night or maybe he, you know, is recovering from a knee injury and you can't do your favorite position. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that can pop up um, or not <laughs> that will <laughs> make you need to kind of adjust your expectations a little bit. And I think, it, uh, again, if if we make good sex contingent on like an erection or an orgasm every time, like we're just going to be disappointed because it, it's more about, there are so many ways to connect erotically that aren't dependent on those things. Sex does not have to begin with the male erection. It does not have to end with the male orgasm. There's just a yeah. lot more to it than that. So yes, absolutely. Having an open mind and being willing to adapt and be flexible to some of the anticipated and unanticipated changes is going to be a real key. Absolutely. Okay. Dr. Emily, if our listeners enjoyed this conversation, where can they find more of you and your work? Thank you so much. So I'm on all the social media channels at Dr. Emily Jamia. That's Dr. Emily Jamia. Um, my website is emilyjamia.com and I actually have a sex after baby workshop on my website. So if anyone wants more information and, you know, a little bit more kind of concrete information, you can go check that out. Um, And I also have a six week workshop on there for reconnecting emotionally and sexually. Um, And I'm happy to give your listeners a half off code. So just use half off and you can get everything for 50% off and um, hope you enjoy. Thank you so much. You guys, we will link all of that in the show notes. So it'll be super easy for you to find. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would absolutely love it if you sent it to your partner, because I think We've just been inclusive of the idea that this is teamwork and we want you guys to be having the sex that you want to have. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me today. Of course. Thank you so much for being on. 